Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 166, another episode of the All In series, which I'll introduce in a wee second. Last episode we had was with Amy Stoner, eh, number 165, which marks number series one, no, sorry, episode one of series four. So new year, new series. Eh, hopefully we can hit that 100 episodes in a year, which would be pretty exciting. Um, next episode is with Cormac White, who's another one of that Nuffield cohort, along with Amy. Um, just more chat there about all things Nuffield and what their sort of plans are. But today, I would say this is the episode I've been most excited for having arranged the whole time I've had the podcast. Um, arranged this and I was so so excited that, that, that Gunnar got back in touch. So um, I'll give you a little intro before we sort of introduce him himself. A lot of you guys have been thinking I've been travelling a lot with, I think, nine countries in 95 days, which to be honest, I think is a lot. And we were just saying off camera compared to the majority of normal people, that probably is a lot. Um, and, you know, had a great time doing it. You guys wanted to hear about, which we did in our Christmas episode, if you want to go check it out. But today we've got someone a bit different. Uh, <laughs> nine countries to him will sound like nothing, to be quite honest. Uh, and the reason for that is if you consider our guest today, you think of people like um, Riley Vitan and Drew Binsky, um, uh, Lexi Limitless, all these sort of names you might have seen on Instagram and stuff like that. I think Riley was the first, if I'm saying his name right, um, to go to every country on the planet. Now, that in itself is one of those things you think that's absolutely insane. I've done a bit of Google and it seems like there's less than 300 people to have done it. Um, today's guest, though, <clears throat> has 10 world records, one of which being the first person ever to do that twice. So... We're going to get some fantastic questions and I've got quite a few lined up that I can't wait for. I'm sure it's the same. Um, but yeah, today we have a bit of a maniac. I'm sure he'd be happy me introducing him as, and I cannot wait to hear his story. So Gunnar, would you like to say hello? Yes. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Thanks for a lovely intro. That's, uh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> Not at all here. Thank you. Thanks. Second Norwegian. We had a TV yeah. personality from Norway once, um, uh, Martin Holman, which was good fun, uh, who you may, may have came across. But I think the first thing we have to ask, Gunnar, is you've been to 196, 193 countries, a lot of countries, twice. When did you realise that was going to be something you were going to do with your life? How does that come about? <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Uh, it probably started in uh, 1979. I was four years old at the time um now i have three brothers and three sisters back then i only had um, one brother um he was the two 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 and a half years old uh, our dad he was a medical doctor on a cruise ship in the pacific and um so we were living here on the west coast of, of norway in a small village called Naustal, um with with our mother um of course we couldn't read uh, we're not that clever or at least we were not back then so um, so my dad, what he did, uh, he sent these amazing audio cassette tape messages uh, once every two weeks to us, uh, telling incredible tales from, from the Philippines, from, uh, from China, from Canada, from the United States. I remember Oyster and my brother and me, we ran down to the mailbox um, you know, every day to see if there was an envelope with uh, an audio cassette in it. And when there was, we ran back home to the, to the kitchen, our house, Hundred meters away and press play to listen to to these these tales. And I remember telling my mom back then when I was four. So I, I told her when I am going to be uh, as big as dad, I also want to travel to lots of countries. So I think that's sort of where it really started. And then I 
didn't really travel until I was uh, 17, 18 when I went interrailing around Europe. Um, and then I um, I went to the stance, uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, um, in 2004 and loved it so much. So I decided to visit all the stan countries, seven of them in, in English at least. Um, and I finished this in 2009 and I needed another goal and that uh, turned into visiting every country in the world, which I finished um, doing in 2013. Um, and then I started a few years later, I started writing a book about the least visited countries in the world, uh, the 20 least visited. And, and of course, I had to go back to them and, and to do research and interview people and all the rest of it. Um, and somebody asked me, so how many countries have you been to twice then? And I, I said, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but I started I started counting and I think I missed about 30 or 35 countries. And I said, yeah, yeah why not? Bollocks to it. You know, I'll just spend uh, you know more money on this uh, insane uh, hobby of mine. And uh, yeah, I finished in, in 2018 uh, for the second time. So <laughs> let's say I'm easily traveled. Eh? <laughs> well, so, we're putting it. So what uh, countries are on the list of the 20 least traveled countries? Uh, number one, um, okay, so, so this is, of course, the book came out before the pandemic. So, so of course, uh, certain things have changed. Um, but I, I'd say we're back to, uh, let's say, um, what, what we consider normality uh, to a large extent, with one exception, that's North Korea, which is still closed for tourists. So that is currently the least visited country in the world. Back when I wrote the book, it was number 32, I believe. Um, because of a lot of Chinese tourists in particular. So they get, and they actually get 100,000 visitors a year, or they used to. Um, so back then, it was Yemen, which was the least visited, with only 60 tourists a year. Um, number two was um, was Nauru in, in the Pacific, a tiny island nation there, uh, which I've run around uh, twice, actually. It's, it's only 19K around the country. It's, it's a circular uh, island. Um, and then the third one was Libya, um 200 visitors a year i think 132 to nauru and the fourth one was uh, i believe it was um was tuvalu and then car central african republic and five so um yeah so so let's say they're all in three continents uh there are four countries in asia on this list six i believe in um oceania uh, so island nations there in the pacific and the rest are in the uh, rest are in africa um, and they're all sort of in two categories. They're either, uh, you haven't heard about them, um, uh, logistics is, is awful, no flights or no ships or very few flights or ships going there, um, or they are not very much visited due to uh, war or famine and nasty stuff. And there's one country that stands out, and that's Turkmenistan, which I believe was the 11th or 12th least visited country in the world. I mean, that's totally bizarre. It's just a, so such a strange country. So I guess that that doesn't fit in any of the other two any of the other two boxes. <laughs> Turkmenistan has gorgeous infrastructure, like beautiful tapestry and stuff like that, hasn't it? Is that the right? But it just no one's there. I uh, know it, it's um, it's quite a big and large country, and they have it's a, it's the fifth biggest exporter of gas, natural gas in the world. So they have loads of money. Um, but the country, a former Soviet Union republic, uh, was uh, has been controlled by dictators. It's number three in line currently. And, um, you know, so they have all sorts of strange rules. You know, they changed the, the dictator, uh, took the name Turkmen um, Bashi, uh, which means the father of all Turkmen's. Um, and he uh, changed the, num the names of the days of the week. Because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's quite boring. 
Uh, so he named the days of the week after his own family instead, for instance. Um, put up loads of gold statues of himself. Uh, one is um, 85 meters up in the air on, on this, uh, uh, and it, it turns around. It's made, it, made out of gold, and it turns around, so the dictator always looks at the sun for whichever reason. So, you know, it's just a totally crazy country. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's definitely worth visiting. You know, loads of uh, history there. Uh, loads of, of sites and, and and very few tourists, but um, but you need uh, guides. You need a guide to get in there, so it can be a bit tricky to actually get a visa to 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 enter. When uh, when I said not many people there, I meant tourist wise, not actually population. Yeah, it's, it's a cut. I've watched a few videos on it. It's a uh, it's pretty bizarre. It looks well, it doesn't look like, but it it always it reminds me a little bit of of like Burma with the sort of the capital city that's completely, you know, it just seems deserted. What is it? Nyajapur, I believe, in, in Japur. Um, but yeah, some of these countries are just quite surreal with the way, you know, there's so much money there, but not really anyone gets to enjoy that money. Um, no, it's quite an even divided, let's say. So, yeah. But yeah, the capital, Ashgabat, it's really strange because parts of it, it's in the Guinness Book of Records for having the most marble buildings in the world, over 600. Uh, but nobody can afford to live in these beautiful buildings. So it's pretty much a, a, like a ghost town. It, it's totally bizarre. It, it's really, really strange. <laughs> Could you, you mentioned, you mentioned Tuvalu. Tu, it's always interested me because they, they have a football pitch on an on a airstrip, don't they? Is that right? Oh, is that, that, they do yeah. actually. Well, and, uh, of sorts. They use the airstrip for everything. I mean, it's, it's a very small country. It consists of a few, uh, it's 10 islands and atolls. I believe they have uh, an airstrip on, on one on Funafuti. It's the coolest airport code in the world. Fun. Uh, really? And uh, they have two flights or three flights a week. Actually, right now, Tuvalu is totally isolated because uh, the airstrip, um, due to heavy rain, is is no longer working. So there are quite a few people. They are um, primarily Australians. They are now, um, you know, they probably have to spend Christmas involuntarily, involuntarily in, in Tuvalu. Uh, but they used the airstrip, you know, only two flights a week, and it's a tiny country, so they have to use it for, for stuff. You know, people walk their dogs there, um, they play football, they play rugby, they, they sort of play everything there. So it's uh, no, it's a bizarre a little a tiny, tiny country in the Pacific. <laughs> I think I saw countries, like, I think it was Australia was offering countries like Tuvalu the ability, because there's this fear of global warming that they're not there, you know, and they're offering them ability to continue as a as a nation, but in Australia, I believe, um, yeah. yeah. But if you had to, if you had to choose up, we'll, we'll probably narrow the questions down as we go, Gunnar. But if I'm also conscious of time, if you had to choose a favorite continent, what would it be? Now, that's a very open question. I understand, but uh, yeah, yeah, now, that's tricky. I mean, I I love um I love scenery and, and nature. Um, so I mean, and we have a lot of of beautiful scenery in, in, in Europe. Um, so for scenery, probably probably Europe actually. Um, then again, Africa is, is amazing for, for so many uh, reasons, including wonderful scenery scenery as well. Um, I don't know. I, I really have a hard time picking favorites, whether it's a continent or, or especially a country. Um, but um, and I mean, you, you have so much to see, and there's so many wonderful people and, and sites in, on all the continents. So. I, I don't really think I can even even pick a continent. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's quite tricky. And and um, just off camera, you mentioned sort of about uh, 
write, writing a book at the minute and you're only two weeks back at the minute from Africa. Um, could you tell us about what's happening there? Obviously, you don't have to do too much because you're writing the book and you don't want to give it in the way. But uh, yeah, what's what's the plan there? No, well, the book is about the equator, the Arctic Circle and the Antarctic Circle. And I'm, I'm writing about the countries that these three lines go through. Uh, so there are eight countries on the Arctic Circle. There are 13 uh, on the equator and uh, on the Antarctic Circle, you have uh, Antarctica. Uh, so what I'm doing, I'm talking to people there, interviewing them and asking or trying to find out how they are affected by global warming. And it turns out that a lot of them don't even relate to global warming, and especially uh, those without an education or with very limited schooling. Uh, they see the effects of it, many of them do, uh, but they have no concept that you know this this might actually happening or that this uh, or at least not that it, it might be man-made and, and so on and so forth I, I get to meet so many incredible people in in these countries and they have amazing stories to tell and um, traveling especially around africa it's um logistical hell um and in central africa and um, getting visas is quite difficult so uh, and you know there's a lot there's a fair amount of corruption in some of these countries as well um bad roads bad logistics um so it's challenging, but it's also a lot of fun, uh, not least because of, of all the amazing people. I mean, it's it's a, it's amazing what you get from just people, isn't it? I mean, like it, like you know, we can look at money and we can look at whatever, but the experience you get from meeting people from different cultures, having done very little of it, you know, I think I'm just in ten countries that I've been to, um. I couldn't believe what you got from that. You know, I just just for some background, the listeners will know because I never shut up about it, but you won't know this, Gunnar. I, I came back, I went to Ukraine two months ago um, to drop a pickup off. And you're looking at a country that's war-torn that round the corner, you've got graves and graves upon graves. And the people are lovely, just talking about life and proud of their country. And I found that so interesting that, and you'll see that everywhere. I mean, you'll go to places that are, are used to, you know, nice lifestyles like like Norway, like the UK, and then you'll go to places that are used to the opposite. And and people still are people. Um, where we we had a guy on, well, we had a couple on, sorry, Dylan Dylan and Celtia, and um, they were the first in this series, I think. Yeah. And between them, they'd been to about eighty eight countries. They're twenty seven and twenty five or whatever, and um, they said the most friendly place was Iran. They'd said wasn't they yeah, said Iran? Yeah. yeah. I think so. And I'm just off the phone to someone about an hour ago that said Iran was really friendly. And I've heard Iran from, I watch a lot of traveling and social media. Is that true? That, that um, And it comes with a lot of Middle Eastern countries, Lebanon, Syria. Is that is that a really friendly place to, to be? It is. Yeah, it is indeed. And um, so, so, of course, what we hear in, in the news and it's access, access of evil and all this, this thing, uh, you have to differentiate between uh, normal people, if you like, um, and governments. Unfortunately, in this part of the world, there are quite a few governments that are really, you know, trying to keep uh, keep hold of power. Um, uh, a few dictators, let's let's say as well, um, and they're often using um, religion um, to to achieve this um, and sort of uh, undermining their own people, you know. Putting in place loads of rules, uh, you know, a lot of big police uh, force maybe that that's often often violent. Um, but you know, so on one side, you, you might have uh, 
pretty nasty government, but always in these countries, you always have incredible people. And they're so welcoming. Um, and, and Iran, uh, I don't know, it's one of, the, one of the most welcoming countries in the world. Saudi Arabia is, is also a country we hear relatively, uh, a lot of, of, let's say, relatively negative uh, news about or stories uh, from but the people there. You know, they really don't know what good they can do for you. They're so honored that you're actually visiting their country. And um, yeah, Lebanon, uh, you mentioned Syria as well. It's uh, people invite you to their homes. They invite you for dinners. They take you on hikes. They take you uh, to markets. You know, they drive you long distances to to show off their hometown or or you take you on a mountain trip or whatever. It's, it, it's, it's so amazing to, to, to come to these places. And you really feel like a friend uh, or even a family member, as opposed to many other places where most of us travel where you kind of feel like a bag of money because, you know, they all want to get money out of you. Um, and um, so, no, no, so, so the Middle East, it, it's definitely a fantastic region to, to travel in and travel to. Do you think you'd be able to name, like, the friendliest country that you've been Ooh, to? Uh, Anyone that stands uh, that's out? one, actually. But, uh, yeah, Iran and Saudi are, are both quite high up there. Uh, I love Ireland as well. Very very friendly people um i uh, sudan of course now there's a war uh, in sudan but the people are just incredibly friendly um but i mean it's sometimes it, it's up to you know it depends on who you meet but as a general uh as a general rule I, I think those four countries are you know probably top of the top of the pop if you like <laughs> what to hear that this is an interesting question for me ed is a and you can't see this, they're both wearing hoodies, but Ed is a gentleman in pretty good shape, takes in a lot of calories, goes to the gym a lot. I'm a man in good shape if shape was a circle. Uh, I eat a lot, but don't do the working out. Uh, so a big part of life is cuisine and enjoying food and stuff like that. And again, places like Syrian and Lebanese is, is what I've always heard is up there. But if you had to say, oh, I want to go to that country for their cuisine, is there a few that stand out when you say that? I'm guessing Scotland isn't the answer with, you know, deep fried everything, but... Uh, <laughs> Mind, mind you, I've got I've got three Australian guys living with me, and um, they were like, "Oh, like, what's your kind of um, food like?" And literally, I didn't realize that we just deep fry everything. It's we shocking. butter everything. It's so bad, but they love it. Did like <laughs> you even uh, wasn't that in Scotland? You invented uh, deep fried butter or something wasn't that um, yeah, somewhere do everything it's deep fried mars bar yeah. um yeah. deep fried pizza yeah <laughs> if, if, anyone, if anyone can kill themselves with something on a plate it's a scottish person yeah, like, yeah. that's how it goes <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, I'm sorry to say scotland is not quite up there on, on my list imagine, I, 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 imagine. i'd have been disappointed to be honest <laughs> sorry to offend you guys but you know i'm not really into you know, right stuff. Uh, I love seafood though, and I mean, you have a lot of, of great seafood. Um, yeah. so probably, well, Japan is very high up on the list. Um, you know, not only because of sushi and sashimi, although that's that's you know, obviously world class where it comes from, uh, but they have so many amazing dishes. Um, one of my friends is he's, he's the world sushi champion, actually, he's, he's from Turkmenistan of all places, but he um, he's been working in Russia uh, and in Norway for quite some some quite a few years. And just last year, we published a book, a cookbook uh, about the, Jap the Japanese kitchen. 
Uh, of course, I know nothing about cooking, so I was doing the writing and he was doing the cooking. So, I mean, it turned out well. But Japan is really high up on, on my list, if not on the very top. Uh, Korean food is also uh, quite underestimated. Um, I love spicy stuff. They have a lot of really good spicy uh, dishes. Um, I don't know. So, so, so those uh, are probably my 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 two favorites. But I mean, I'm, but I mean, yeah, I also love eating uh, local specialties uh, when I travel. Always want to try, you know, whatever is on the menu. Try as as, as many strange or unreal dishes out as possible. So, um, but it, it, it's it's hard. I mean, there's so much great food out there. But uh, probably Jap Japan or South Korea would be my, my top two ones. How does South Korean and North Korean food compare? I take it they're just completely different. Well, there's a lot of similarities, uh, although in, in North Korea, there is very little food uh, to, to be had. Um, and I mean, you as a tourist traveling in there, you have to have uh, two guides, in, in fact, not only one, uh, because the guides, they're equally looking after each other so they don't start asking questions about what, what life is really like outside North Korea. Uh, as as you know, they're, at the same time they're trying to look after you, make sure you don't see what you're not yeah. supposed to to see. Um, but as a, as a tourist, you you will obviously get get food and, and decent food. Um, but you see, out on the countryside, you know people are, are really starving. Um, the elites of the country they all live in Pyongyang. Uh, food there is, is decent, uh, but it's just much more plentiful. Uh, plentiful. It's much more food in general. Much more selection. Uh, more innovative dishes in it, the south. Um, so, so I don't know. It's it's sort of either you're in the army or you're sort of part of the extended Kim family, and then you're good. And the rest of the country, they're kind of um, kind of uh, struggling in many ways. Unfortunately, very fascinating country, but also a very sad country to to travel in to to. Uh, I had written. I had written a few countries down before we done this, and. And North Korea is one. I mean, when you think of someone's traveled to every country in the world, the one that I would say 95% of the population go, what with North Korea? What, what is it? I mean, how long were you there for? You've obviously been twice, at least, I assume. Um, how long were you there for? And, and what was that experience like? And obviously, like you say, it's tour guided. It's it's not natural. You're not living a North Korean's life. But, but what, what did it feel like? Did it feel in the country just general negativity? How, did, how does that feel? You know, what was the fight? No, well, I was there the first time, I think it was 2009, and the second time, eight years later. Uh, I was there a week the first time and four days the second time. Um, the second time I took the train in uh, from China and, and without a guide. So that's sort of a loophole. You don't have a guide on the train and, and you get to see a lot of the countryside. You know, of course, the train will stop at quite a few stations. So, so you get sort of a feeling of, of, of the real country, whereas in Pyongyang, everybody's looking after you, making sure you only see what you're supposed to see and all the rest of it. So um, I'm, it's it's a very strange country. You realize that everything is orchestrated. There's a lot of propaganda everywhere, um, especially in, in, in Pyongyang, as, as, I, as I said. Um, you will have these uh, above-mentioned guides uh, taking care of you and showing you all over the place. Some places, you know, you, you will see natural people or normal people if you like um and then suddenly you realize that you've seen the same person in a different outfit earlier in the day so some of the people you see are actually actors or they've been placed there by the government to uh, 
so that it looks like it's 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 kind of normal. Uh, it's very bizarre in Pyongyang, in the capital. You know, even there, you have you hardly see a, a car on on the roads. Um, parts of the city, and this is the showcase city, uh, obviously, uh, and and parts of it, it's quite modern with uh, high rise buildings, um, modern high rise buildings, and uh, fun fairs and a, and a lot of sites, let's say, uh, really high or very very high. It's almost it's sort of a skyscraper hotel. It's one of the biggest hotels in the world. It, it's been unfinished for many many years. Um, it's um, I don't know. It's just bizarre to travel around there, uh, and then you realize that uh, nobody owns property there, and everything is is controlled by a committee that will tell you where you're going to live. You know, and it sounds like okay, curious, but you know. So then you you might suddenly be put in, in, in you know, far away from the center. Might not be a good uh, public transport there, or you might be uh, given the top floor flat. You know, the twenty ninth uh, floor of of a nice building. With a great view, and that sounds wonderful until you realize there is no elevator there, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so on. So you have no control over anything really, as as, as a, let's say as as, um, as a citizen. Then. And the only people who are doing well and that, that have everything they need is, is the army and and of course the the elite. Uh, and other than that, you know, people are quite bad, you know, poorly off. I've seen on the countryside, you know, you, you see farmers they're digging in the ground. Uh, with their own hands, they don't even have shovels or anything. Um, they don't have tractors. They don't have any machinery. Many of them, um, and you can see even I, uh, you know, the train which I took, we passed this this farmer. He was plowing. He actually had a plow, but he did not have a horse. So, so you know, pulling the plow was his wife. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it's it's funny, but it's also sad to to see these uh, see these things. Um, so they're putting all the money into the elite and the military and nothing into into agriculture with machinery and fertilizers and all the rest of it. So um, it's, um, I don't know, it's a really strange, it will really screw your, your emotions, screw up your emotions, you know, traveling around. Yeah, that's insane, man. Sorry, it's just someone's at the door. Um, it, it's, it's a shame to consider that, you know, we look at trying to create a world that's, you'd like to think is is safe and good for everyone involved but um yeah it's a shame there is places out there that that's just not the case unfortunately and actually one other place there's a few other places I've, I've really wanted to ask about but one that probably is is a strange one but has always interested me because i know just about nothing about it is eritrea what's eritrea like i don't know why i want to know this but i'm really interested yeah, well, Eritrea is uh, it's a complicated country to get into, visa-wise. Um, everyone there, all, all the guys there, they have to go into national service, which which for some people lasts uh, their entire lives with almost no pay. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, they, uh, they have nothing, uh, essentially. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's a wonderful country. People there are, are incredible, really, really um, hospitable. Um, it's um, you have uh, Asmara, the capital. It's um, it's uh, art. Uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, what's the? It's the Italian building style, uh, Art Deco, isn't it? Art Deco oh, yeah, styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of walking around in, in a town from from the nineteen thirties, and it, with with all these uh, houses in, in in this particular building style, it, it's really fascinating. 
and you have Masawa down by and, and Asmara is quite high up so it doesn't get that hot there it's one of the highest capitals in the world and you have Masawa which is down by the uh, sea uh, which is is great for uh, you have you have um, quite a few islands out there you have beaches you know but it's it's you still see um, a lot of damaged buildings there uh, after the war which, which uh, finished many many years ago you have a dictator running the show which is unfortunately the case in way too many uh, countries. Um, but people are really, they're really, there's a party people there. They love their parties. They, they have really good food. It's very similar or almost identical to Ethiopian food, which which most people are, are able to try in, in big capital cities, at least. Um, so no, it, it, it's, it's a bizarre country. But it feels very, very safe. Uh, people are friendly and... Um, it's um it's it's sort of on the crossroads between the Middle East and Africa, if you like. Uh, even though, of course, it is it is an African uh, continent. Have Have you ever felt in much danger? I know Dylan that we had on. He he's really good on Instagram at putting different things up, and he had this unbelievable story that he did. What was it? Maybe a month ago. <laughs> it was in the last few weeks. Yeah, and uh, he was actually um and captured by the. I want to get this right, but the Taliban? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he's yeah. held prisoner for two days. Yeah. yeah. He was a prisoner in Taliban for a few days because he was traveling the country and looked suspicious or something along those lines. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, is anything like that happened to you or have you ever felt in danger? Just quickly, one thing to add to that that Dylan said was he said um, they couldn't have been nicer to him when they found yeah. out he wasn't, which I found very interesting. Uh, but yeah, sorry, oh. sorry. You're gonna... <clears throat> no, it's uh, I've been I don't know lucky or maybe it's uh, some experience uh, after a few years on the road. Um, it's only one time I, I I don't know I should have been scared, but everything went so fast. I was out walking in, in Gabon in, in the capital there at Libreville, um, and um, at night it was around midnight, and I walked in, in one of the main streets, which was uh, you know, nicely lit and everything. And suddenly two guys, one is quite a lot taller than me, and one my size, they just jumped me dragged me up a dark alley um and i've been thinking about this you know uh, you know i will be mugged at some point in time traveling so much you know that's just inevitable so i just said okay if that happens i'm just gonna give away everything you know my phone my passports my money whatever i don't want to die over you know you know over not giving up you know whatever i have uh, but when this happened i don't know my instant reaction was i, I became bloody cross and I just, I said, they dragged me down on the ground. They dragged me up uh, along the this tarmac. Um, they, they tore my shirt and everything. And I became so cross and I managed to get back up on my feet. Probably loads of adrenaline. I've never been this this strong probably ever in my life. And I managed to to drag both of them back out on the, on, on the road. Uh, and they were shooting uh, shooting at me with this uh, electrical taser gun. And I couldn't, I couldn't even feel anything, but you know, I could see the the lights of it and hear the sound of it. I was just so bloody annoyed. And I was like, "You're not stealing!" I was shouting this in Norwegian. "You're not stealing my fucking passport, you fuckers!" <laughs> and <then laughs> and then somehow I managed to to drag these guys out uh, back back to the, the main road. Um, and they managed to take my phone, but uh, nothing else, not my passport, not my money, not my wallet. Uh, and I would have been screwed. There's no Norwegian embassy uh, in Gabon. Um, and then they ran off. So, and then I said, bloody hell, you know, and I've even trained on this, you know, I, I was supposed to just give up everything, you know, if they had a real gun, 
uh, or a knife or something, I would have been dead. So it was a really stupid thing to do, but you know, that's what I did. Um, and um, I mean, it, it all went so fast, so I didn't really have time to get scared. But afterwards, as a bloody hell, my shirt was was torn. I, I had a, a suit jacket on, and I just I just walked towards my hotel, and I, I get to a bar, and I says, "Okay, I need a drink." And I go to but the bouncer said, "No, you're not coming in dressed like that. You're with a torn shirt and everything." So, dude, I was just bloody mugged. I, I need a beer. Okay, yeah, fair enough. You you can come in and have one beer. <laughs> <laughs> and then and I sat there you, drinking beer, and I was just like, "Bloody hell!" I was so close to to being killed. So, um, but that was the only time I, I really uh, probably been in in real danger, or at least known I wasn't in real danger. So that's pretty <laughs> good. Like pretty good. Only, only, only once. Oh right, sorry. I see. Only yeah, once yeah. in like, that yeah. that many times of being in like so many different places like <laughs> these boys that are staying with me now they came over here three months ago literally just went from australia via china to london they're spending a few days in london traveling it and they got mugged on like their second night there <laughs> yeah they had their wallets yeah, exactly uh, i mean yeah. uh, it probably has something to do with experience you know you know you, you know you don't yeah, look lost no don't look lost don't look at the map you know, you know, just pretend, even if you have no idea where you are, just pretend you do, and and try to be confident. Maybe even come across as arrogant, you know, and, and you're less likely to be mugged. Definitely, Gunnar. How many flights do you think you've been on? Oh, <laughs> I, I, a lot. <laughs> I'm not. I, I have no idea actually. Uh, probably, well, definitely four figures. Probably just uh, maybe maybe a couple of thousand between the one thousand and. 2,500 maybe, I'm guessing. Uh, but yeah, a lot of flights. <laughs> well, one thing that's quite interesting, well, I say one thing, I think I've said that about seven times so far, but um, when you look at the world, you think it's sort of like, you know, Saharan Africa, very arid, very dry, very, you know, and then you look at Southeast Asia, monsoon season, that sort of thing. What What's the sort of extremes of weather you've seen in travels? The most extreme uh, weather... I don't know, I was in Canada um, not too long ago, and I was walking, I, you know, I got stuck in, in a village up there, uh, Rankin Inlet is the name of it, and uh, because of extreme cold and wind and gusts and everything, I was going to go to another place, I was just going to be here one one day, I ended up being there eight days, because uh, there were no flights, and there were no roads up there, and, and it was freezing, and then, you know, I can't just sit inside a hotel all the time, so, so you know, I'm just out there with my, my, my jacket and shoes and everything walking um up a road and of course no one else is walking and it's bloody freezing and then uh, suddenly a big pickup truck comes along with with three lads inside and they're just driving slowly towards me and you know they roll down their windows uh, two of them and and this is so what are you doing so no i'm i'm just out walking um and there's like you're aware it's minus 61 degrees here and i said oh fucking hell and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. You know, um, I, no worries, mate. No worries, mate. Fuck is the first word we learn up here. <laughs> <laughs> so minus 61 degrees. That was, you know, I, that was so cold. And I mean, I'm, I'm Norwegian. I, I should be used to this. You know, the, the coldest I've done here is minus 43. And that's awful. But it was, it was painful. It was hurting. It, it, it was the worst experience ever. So I lasted about 15 minutes um, outside before I just, you know, I was, I was about to freeze to death. So I just had to go back in. 
So, you know, I, that was the longest I could stay outside on any given day. It was, was, was almost one hour. <laughs> that, that was that was wild. So it's probably the most extreme weather. And also in Tuvalu, we spoke about earlier. And that's the, you know, I've never seen that much rain. Uh, and I actually, you know, it caught me by surprise. I, I was out running, uh, jogging, which I always do when I travel. And um, sort of my, my eyelids couldn't, I, I couldn't see anything because my eyelids, was they were, they were not capable of, of getting or, you know, opening, closing fast enough to get rid of the rain. It was massive. It was just insane how much rain was actually coming down there. I've never experienced anything uh, similar. And, you know, as I said, I was out running. You know, obviously, I was so bloody drenched. Luckily, I was, I was running in shorts. But still, that was <laughs> that was that was wild. <laughs> Jeez, get Scotland to run for its money. That does. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we're a small fish in this whole world. Yeah, hundred percent. On you go, mate. Sorry. So do you do you run in most countries? Like because Rose Davies that was on for um, the hundred fiftieth episode, she's an Olympic runner, and she said to me when I, I think it was off the podcast, we were just talking. And she's like, I don't think there's any better way to actually experience a new place than actually just go running in it and just to see it because you just see it in a totally different way when you're outside and you're going slowly enough to actually take it all in. So is that kind of what you do? I totally agree with that on this. And uh, yes, there's many good reasons to run when when you're uh, traveling. First of all, I mean, you're on loads of flights and trains and buses and everything. You sit still for for a lot of your time. Uh, so it's actually to exercise and, and keep in, keep fit, keep in shape is, is a great way of, of doing that. But also, as she's saying, it, it's a wonderful way of exploring a country. Um, and, you know, as I, I always bring my phone so I can take photographs. Um, you, get, you get, you know, of course, you can walk. But you get much faster around. You get to see more in a shorter amount of time. Um, and also, it's a great way of meeting people. Um, you know, while you're running, you might meet too many people. Some some people will wave and say hello, and, and suddenly you stop and you have a chat. But everybody will notice you. So later in the day, you go back to your hotel or wherever you're staying and have a shower. And then you go out maybe or to, to a restaurant or a bar or you just go walking. And, oh, hey, you're the running guy. You know, and suddenly you have a conversation going because everybody notices you, you know, when you're a foreigner in, in a different country. Uh, it, it's so easy to, to uh, you know, that people actually um, pay attention to you. So I think I've I haven't run in every country in the world. I've run in I'm running in at least half of them. Maybe I'm I guess maybe 110 or 120. Um, so just something I really enjoy enjoy doing while while um, while on the road. How many languages do you speak? Uh, well, I don't know. If, it depends on whether I'm bragging or not. But uh, because in, let's, let's go braggy. In, let's let's pretend you're chatting to me. Let's do some bragging here because okay, I'm Norwegian. And in Norway, we have two languages, which are almost identical. It's Bokmål and Nynorsk, so I can say two. Uh, of course, we also understand Swedish and Danish. So, you know, suddenly you have four. Uh, a tiny bit of, of Icelandic, you know, we understand as well. That's that's sort of old Norwegian they speak in Iceland. Um, so if I'm bragging, I can you know, mention all of these, um, which I rarely do, actually, uh, obviously, because it's, <laughs> it's just stupid. So it's primarily it's English. I speak some Spanish. Um, I had German in school many, many years ago, so I still remember some of that. And, and uh, also studied Chinese Mandarin uh, back in 2010. Unfortunately, I've you know forgotten most of that uh, without practicing. So typically, it's, it's English. And um, of course, around the world, you know, a lot of people don't speak English. 
So, uh, so, so typically, I, I then try to find somebody or other people I'm talking to. They will find typically a 13 or 14 year old boy or girl um, that learns English in school, and you know they, they shout for this person, uh, which and and he or she come comes over, and you can just see their status status in in the community just skyrockets. You know, and suddenly this is the person that enables communication between this strange foreigner and maybe the. the chief of the village or you know whoever you're talking to um but even you know you, you might not even find someone speaking english all the time either but then you have to either sign language or you just speak in norwegian and you smile it's really important to smile a lot and then typically you'll kind of get the gist of what's happening then that was in iran actually i was there with with my brother uh, and, and a friend and we couldn't find anyone speaking english so we were in a restaurant uh, we uh, tried to order that would you know, the menu was was uh, uh, was in Persian. So uh, in the end, I just took my note notebook uh, from my my pocket and a pen, and I I drew a, a sheep uh, and a cow and two pieces of bread. And that's what they gave us. You know, so that's always one way of doing it. You know. <laughs> did you get them? Did you get them alive, or did you get them on the plate? <laughs> yeah, super fresh. You know. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um. One thing that will probably interest a lot of the, the listeners, uh, Gunnar, of which there's quite a few, especially on this online side nowadays, um, I know actually I've mentioned at work that I'm going to be inter- interviewing you and stuff like that uh, over the last few days, is how do you fund this? Do you fund it through your writing or do you work in places you travel to? How do you manage that? Well, first, I, when I started traveling, I, I worked with uh, Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation. So it's like the BBC, but Norwegian. So it's, it's, it used to be license funded. Now it's it's tax funded, actually. Um, so I was there as a journalist, and then I worked as a project manager and so on. So I did that for twenty some years. Um, so I always had a full time job, and it paid decent, you know. Um, so and I spent all my money on travels. So, uh, uh, but then three years ago, um, I quit my job. I just said ah, I've had it, and now, so now I'm, you know, travel is the way I am making an income. So I write books, I do presentations, uh, they're decently paid. Um, and um, I also do some freelance work and uh, stuff like that. So, so that's, and I managed to do that for three years. And uh, fingers crossed, uh, I will manage to, to keep doing that. So uh, I really, I really enjoy it, you know, and, and book sales uh, bring in some, some money uh, as well. So, so fingers crossed, I'll, I'll I'll be able to to keep doing this for for another three years or thirty three years or, or whatever. Good on you, man. Good on you. What, hey, sorry, good on you. What's the next steps of travel? What are you thinking in the net in twenty twenty four? Well, twenty twenty four. I'm going to to a DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, for for book research. Uh, I also have to go to Indonesia again and Kiribati in in uh, Oceania, and then that's that's it really for for. Uh, equator countries um and after that i'm i'm not really sure i haven't started planning another book yet so uh, we we will see but uh i guess i'm easily traveled so you know i'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll end up somewhere so uh, <laughs> i guess i'm on the road Can maybe 200 days um, a year uh, in a normal year so um i'll definitely go somewhere yeah has got hands down the prettiest flag on the planet uh, yeah. it's like it's like a wavy sea with the sun and a bird flying over it's beautiful nice. really pretty nice. um, I don't know if you're noticing Gunnar I'm a bit of a 
geography nerd. <laughs> that stuff is so ed- we had someone on. What was that? What was that? Join the club, eh? <laughs> so interesting. I'm, I'm like a kid on Christmas Eve at the minute, and actually, it almost is a kid on Christmas Eve. Um, but the uh, essentially, so Congo, you're heading to next year as part of the, the sort of um equator thing. Uh, I, I was in Rwanda in August, there seems to be some pretty notable unrest there. Is, is there quite a lot of times that would, would you ever find trouble between neighbouring countries getting between the two because of sort of political unrest? Or is that not, not something that comes up often? Uh, well, you have some issues here and there. Um, and typically, yeah, it's, it's conflict uh, happening. Some countries have closed their borders between countries as well. Uh, so typically, biggest troubles are uh, getting visas and then you might run into some corruption. Just traveled uh, with my fiance Jackie. We traveled from uh, Gabon into Congo, Republic of Congo, and you know there were it's a very remote border post, so no witnesses. So that's 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 you know, pretty bad to start with. And first, there is a police officer, and he is just registering our passports, writing them all the details down on an A4 piece of paper, and he wants money for that, and uh, we refused to pay, and just realized okay. In the end, he he was persistent as hell, and starts talking about you know putting us in jail and all the rest of it. So okay, but you know they don't have any rights to, to demand any money from you on any border crossings. Then um, we finally get our passports back, pay him some money. Then we have to get a stamp. But that's the immigration guy, and of course he demands a lot of money for for stamping the bloody passports. And he asked for I can't remember it, it was like. $200 per person or something. It was, it was quite a lot of money as well. I said, no way, you know, this is, uh, this is corruption. Uh, you know, and of course, when he's, you know, when he start talking about my nose, no, 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 it's not corruption. And then he speaks even less English than he did previously. Um, we managed to get that down to $80 between the two of us. Um, and then of course, this, this other guy, this, he turns out to be a military guy. He said, no, no, no this guy is not corrupt. Uh, before he takes us to another police station and, demands uh, more money so so it's like three bloody we had to pay three bloody places in order to get into the country and um this is i've, I've never done that before actually so it's really unlucky but there's no way of getting out of it and the immigration guy he was oh i'm going to deport you send you back to gabon and that would have totally screwed up my my time schedule so i really couldn't do that um i waited them out uh four hours and managed to to well get down from 200 to uh, yeah, to eighty dollars, which is uh, it, it's still a fair amount of money. Um, but you know, that's 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 the most annoying thing: border crossing, political unrest. It's um, uh, as long as the borders are open, it's 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 usually totally fine to to cross them. I mean, nobody wants you to die in their country. So if it's if it's really bad, they're just going to close the border, or um, you know, or at least one border, or the border in the in the dangerous area. They might demand that you fly in, for instance, or that you have to use another border, stuff like that. But uh, no, never, never felt um, uh, there has been any danger at crossing into a country. Is your is your fiance a traveler as well? Yeah, she is actually. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Afghanistan. She was the first uh, female to visit Afghanistan um, after the Taliban took over, um, and um, her reasoning was that okay, well now the bad guys are in power, so it's going to be much safer than before. And uh, <laughs> she traveled around all over for two, two, three weeks, um, and uh, had a brilliant, uh, brilliant time. 
So um, yeah, so we met actually. We met at the conference for extreme travelers in in Armenia. Um, <laughs> so she was talking. She was giving a, a speech on 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 Afghanistan, and I was talking about uh, uh, yeah the least visited countries. I believe I was talking. About. So uh, yeah, we just hit it off. Uh, let's say. <laughs> what uh, what nationality is she? Oh, that's a good question. She is. Um, <laughs> she hates me when I said it. She uh, she is um, Finnish. Irish American Sudanese, let's say. So she's half yeah. Irish and half Irish, uh, because of her parents. She's um, she's born in America in the United States, and she's lived in Sudan for the last eight nine years uh, of her life. Uh, so that's sort of where she considers home. Because now with the war in Sudan, she's uh, well, she's in Norway right now. Um, it's really sad what's happening there. Yeah. What 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 accent does she have? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Ah, it's it's American. She's from um, from New York State, um, so it's uh, it's a New New England uh, kind of straightforward. Uh, yeah. I think Rochester or something is is for accent. Yeah, yeah. We're actually we're interviewing for someone from New England next week. Actually, yeah. um, oh, dear um, man, this is so cool. I've, I've I'm conscious of time, Gunnar. I'm yeah. conscious of time, but uh, a couple more things that I do want to ask you. Um, is it ten world records? Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and and of course, uh, everybody refers to these as, as travel records. But I mean, it, it kind of it it's kind of contradictory here. I mean, tr to travel is is actually to explore and spend time somewhere and actually see and, and and do something. Whereas a world record, then you have to do it as fast as possible, really. Yeah. So um, I, I tend to call them logistical records. So such as uh, visiting nineteen countries in twenty four hours, five continents in in a day. 22 uh, states in uh, in well United States or states in the US in in 24 hours did all the counties all 48 counties in England in 24 hours so it's a first person to travel to every country twice and uh, yeah what else all the counties in Norway in 24 hours just all sorts of stupid stuff but it, it, it's it's great fun though you know you do something and you, you realize you've done something faster um, than anyone else done it before you and I've done this with, with various um, friends. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a great boys trip, you know, it takes it to, to a different level. But uh, I wouldn't, I, I don't call that travel. So, you know, it, when I've been to yeah, 19 countries in 24 hours, I would never count that as, as having been to the countries. I wouldn't count any of those visits as, as my first or second time, because that really isn't, it's, it really is not about travel. So, uh, but yeah, logistical records, I, I, I suppose, yes. <laughs> uh that is what I did wonder because Dylan said the kind of same thing that like a lot of people will say, oh, I've been to that country and it's literally just hopping off the plane, walking around, hopping back on within a few hours. And like, oh, yeah, I've been yeah. out of countries. Like, you know nothing about that country or anything to do with its culture or its people. So it no, no, I, I, I think that's totally useless. And I mean, you see a lot of people, you mentioned, I think 300 people have been to every country in the world. And I think that's a very um, liberal number. Because then you have a lot of people who have, uh, they might, they haven't even been, a lot of them haven't been to, for instance, North Korea. They've crossed over the DMZ, uh, demilitarized zone from Seoul. So they've been inside a building. Technically, they've crossed two meters into North Korea, inside a bloody building on the border. But they haven't really been there. They haven't spoken to anybody. They haven't done anything. Um, some people, they also count uh, Syria. They've only been to Golan Heights um, because they, you know, they uh, either they can't get a visa typically Americans, or they um, are afraid of going in there. Uh, other people, Iran, for instance, some people go to the, the, the Quiche, the, the duty-free island, 
which is sort of outside Iran, and it, and, and they can't. Uh, other people, as you're saying, they've been to the airport, uh, or they've even been on a train going through a country, never stepped foot in the country. Um, this, um, I think it's called TCC, the Century the Travel Century Club or something. It's an American club, and you need to have been to 100 countries to, to be a member. They even allow you, if, you, if you're on a plane, the plane lands um, to refuel, um, and then you leave again. You've never even been outside the bloody plane. You've been 10 meters above the ground, uh, never stepped foot there, but that's okay. You, then you can still camp the country. I think it's totally utter bollocks. I mean, what's the point? You, know, you, you don't see anything. And then you say, okay, so oh, I've been to every country in the world, uh, which is, you know, for bragging rights, which is totally fine. But then somebody asks me, asks you, so, oh, yeah. So what was uh, what was Turkmenistan like? So well, actually, and it's it's so embarrassing, you know. You you bragging about something. you haven't bloody even been there. I think that's that's yeah. really really it's totally useless. Really. But um, so I think actually the real number of people who've properly been to every country it's it's below two uh, two hundred uh, really? as, as far as I know. So um, but hey, it's uh, I mean I, if people want to count being in an airplane, you know, but then you might as well if you fly above a country, you're going to count that. Then you know it's the same yeah. thing as being on the ground in same airplane i mean if you want to camp that i mean be my guest but i, I really don't see the the, the point in it because uh, it should be about meeting other people it should be about reducing conflict it should be about building bridges it should be about understanding and learning about people and places and countries and about yourself uh it, there's so much travel should be about and it shouldn't be about tick boxing off of a bunch of countries or or towns or villages or whatever um but that that's only <laughs> to to your knowledge are you the only person to have done it twice uh, there are two other guys who, who've done it um, there's one um, a, a Greek guy Harry Tsidas uh, he runs Nomad Mania or he, found, he established Nomad Mania which is a website where you can count countries and regions and everything and there's a guy Emirek um, uh, isn't that uh, Slavic um, it's a Polish uh, half Polish half Kenyan guy actually um, so so um, they've both done it. Um, uh, uh, Slavic, Slavic Mutari, is it? Sorry. But he uh, he finished, uh, I think, six or eight months after me. And uh, Mitsidas, he finished uh, just a couple of months ago. I and do, do you, have you guys met or no? Ever been in contact? Yeah, no, I, I've met, uh, met uh, Slavic. Um, I met him in Armenia as well. Um, Harry left uh, Armenia the day before I got there. So I've spoken to him on the phone several times, uh, but I've never actually met him. But uh, uh, we're, let's say, we're acquaintances, let's say. Yeah. yeah. If, if you had to only visit, live in one country and not leave that country ever again, which country would it be? Is it going to be Norway? Yeah, probably Norway because of yeah, well, friends and family and all, all the rest of it. And, and I really love the, the scenery we have here. It is actually a big country. We have the second longest coastline in the world after Canada because of our fjords and loads of islands and everything. So, yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it it is beautiful here, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, so if I could never leave again, it'd probably be, be Norway. But then again, I, I I could live in any country in the world, um, and um, yeah, I'd be happy to do so. But maybe not for forever. And um, yeah, I, I would not like to be stuck in a country for the rest of my life. That's it. <laughs> how about how about the same question, but you can't say Norway. Ah, oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. I don't know. I am. Um, I I love the UK. I studied in in Cornwall in Falmouth, 
Um, oh, yeah. It's also my second home country. I really like the, um, I, I, I like the culture and the, the people there. I don't know, the bloody Brexit thing kind of screwed everything yeah. up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but you don't need to but, travel now. You can only wait in one place. It's fine. <laughs> well, that's great. You're... Um... Like you're so lucky that like you've literally traveled to every single place in the world and like you would still rather choose your home country where you were grew up as to where you'd spend the rest of your life. Like I don't think there'll be at least half the countries out there that wouldn't say that at all. That's very honestly very minimal countries, yeah, I would yeah. say. He'll vote like, less than half, probably. Yeah, obviously your big ones, like there's any I know I would, don't really like it, but the first world countries, like you probably just can say, yeah, I would stick there. But how many countries out there that you would just move from in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's very true. That is true. No, but, you know, the three of us, we're very privileged. I mean, we are from we are from democracies. We are from countries with strong passports. We do have holiday. Uh, we have decent pays. You know, you know, they pay us decently in, in these countries. Um, we're allowed to to move freely or travel. And I think this is something a lot of travelers, they kind of forget, you know, this enormous privilege it is to actually leave your country and explore elsewhere. I met this one guy in Costa Rica and, you know, we were talking about travel and, and he asked me about a lot of countries and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and, you know, after a while with, with amazing, or, you know, he said the stories was amazing. I don't know if they were, but he said those stories are, are incredible. So nice to to hear that. But you know what? I would so like to travel myself. I'm never going to be able to leave my country. I'm so envious and I'm so sad at the same time. And that really made me think because it's sort of we we travel, we observe stuff. You know, ideally we we participate. You know, we don't only observe and take photos and put out on Instagram and get loads of likes, but we actually take part in the culture and learn about it. Um, so, but um, uh, you know, if if we if we do that, you know, and get to know the, these places, we, we really should cherish and we should uh, we, we should realize how lucky we are that to be able to do so. And, and we should also realize that, you know, so many other people, you know, most people in the world will never be able to travel outside their own country, you know, and um, and we should take this opportunity, and, you know, which we have because we're bloody lucky and um, and value it. And um, so I don't know if travel doesn't humble you as a person. I don't think anything will. Um, so I don't know. Unfortunately, there are also a lot of arrogant pricks out there uh, traveling the world. <laughs> I think that's quite well, sad. Not just the UK. <laughs> this, guy, this guy's number one. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was, I've been nice to you so far. You yeah, have. It's weird. I don't like I'm, it. I'm usually pretty mean to him on these ones. But just, just a quick one. Um, so. When you say you've ticked off every country, United States of America is a big place. Have you ticked off every state as well? I presume. No, I haven't. I've uh, I've been to I think uh, is it thirty eight or forty or something. We did we did twenty two states in twenty four hours at one point. So, yeah. so <laughs> but uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't been. I, I lived there twice. I lived in Indiana, um, in Midwest, and in, in Washington DC, um, in ninety two, ninety three, and then ninety seven. So, uh, but yeah, no, there are, there are some states I need to to tick off. But mind you, you know, so why should, um, I mean, a lot of people ask this, and how about the, the states of, of the United States of America? 
Uh, but that's pretty much the only country that people really care about. And I think it's, it's unfair that we're going to come to the states, but not the counties or various countries or the provinces or whatever. Um, but I, I don't know. Soft power works, I suppose. You know, <laughs> American TV shows and pop music uh, around the world, it's uh, it's made us uh, cherish the United States more than maybe we should. <laughs> I'm saying this with, with Beyonce, that's, uh, that's American. <laughs> Say it quietly so she can't hear in the next room. I'm actually... Yeah, yeah. I'm actually just back from Indianapolis last month. Um, okay. actually, this hoodie was bought in Indianapolis. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I've <laughs> always thought that. I've always thought that. Why, why do we talk about American states all the time, but never Canadian provinces? Or Yeah, I've always thought that. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I've got one quick question, uh, Gunnar, before we've, we'll have a last question for you that, that, that we haven't actually come up with. It's a wee bit of a thing that I'll explain in a minute, but... You've, you've got 10 records under your belt. It sounds like you sort of do something and you're like, and you randomly notice, oh, that could work quite well. Have you got another record in mind? Anything you're planning on doing a wee bit different or is, is nothing sort of in the burner at the minute? Not really. I haven't, I'm too busy with this book currently. So, but you know, the moment I finish the book, I'll, I'll probably start thinking of something. And um, I have a lot of, of, of uh, let's say, crazy uh, friends for better or worse, you know, some are good crazy, some are bad crazy, and you know, there are lots of people out there who are, who are very willing to to do some uh, strange stuff. So, but no, no, I don't have any uh, no ideas currently. <laughs> yeah, if you want a Scottish bearded guy, add me to the list. I don't know if Ed's wanted to add to it, but uh, no, it yeah, sounds but, good. Yeah. <laughs> Here, it, it genuinely appreciate your time because i understand you're out and about everywhere you're you're all over the place i think you were in gabon when i was speaking to you um and uh yeah dear look you've you'll have a lot of folk that will be keen to speak to you so appreciate the time really do uh but i don't know how much podcasts you listen to but there's a podcast here in, in the uk by a guy called stephen bartlett who's one of the dragons on dragon's den um and his podcast at the end which i actually didn't notice in fairness that Ed, Ed's a podcast listener, I'm not, but it's a really cool idea. You'll get the person who was on the last episode to ask a question for the next person. So that gives you a clue of what we're going to ask you in a minute. But before we ask you for, for a question, um, we gave we gave our last guest, who I'll tell you a bit about because she'll be very interesting to you and maybe a book you'd like to read, actually. Our last guest was called Kate Rawls. Um, and Kate's done various different cool things in life. But the thing we sort of mainly based the podcast around was she uh, built a bike out of bamboo and cycled north to south of South America over the course of 13 months. Yeah, stopping off and sort of trying to have an impact on just the climate crisis and the quality of life crisis in, in various countries throughout, yeah? Uh, so I knew she'd be quite interested in you, and I know she now follows you on Instagram. She's looked you up and stuff. Um, but her question to you was, of all the countries you've went to, what was the most important thing that you learned that uh, could then be used to move forward in the climate and quality of life crisis. Now that is an in-depth. That's a question. hell of a question. It's a hell of I a know question. you usually ask me these, but don't ask me. That. <laughs> it's a hell of a question. But having listened to Gunnar for the last hour, I think if there's anyone that's going to give it a crack, it's him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so where, where did I where did I pick this up? Uh, that, it's a good and a very deep question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. Um... Uh, I don't know. Actually, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. You should you should limit the the difficult mess up. <laughs> I think letting her know the audience was a mistake because yeah. it's really it, it, it's more. I mean, the way I read that to try and sort of 
un you know fourth year dissertation level question it um is i guess what's been the biggest thing that's impacted you on your travels and have you learned anything from countries that we probably look at as developing and not as good as us i think that's a terrible thing that our country looks on other countries like i don't mean we as people think that but i think the country as a country is there anything you've learned in in developing nations that you would bring to to norway to the uk that sort yeah perhaps um uh, yeah from afghanistan i was uh, in in uh, in rural afghanistan and i was invited to a family um and i was uh, they didn't speak in english but a friend of mine was there so he was translating and everything and you know in the end they invite me for dinner or me and my friend for dinner and um Turns out they are um, they're slaughtering their their uh, chicken. And they only had one chicken um, to to serve for dinner, and and I didn't know they only had one chicken. It tells me you know they're so honoured uh, to to have you as, as, as an honoured guest, you know, as a foreigner and everything, and they were so honoured to have us come to their house. They take their only bloody chicken, you know, that provides them with eggs every day, and and you know give it away, uh, and they you know they have almost nothing. And I and I was, I was totally shocked, but you know, it just um, I don't know. It just it just meant so much that you have almost nothing, and you take away something that actually gives you eggs, you know, gives you food every day, and and you give that away. I don't know. It just shows how big hearts people have. They have nothing, but they still um, they still want to give you the little little they have. I I, I then so when I realized the situation, what they'd done, I said, I said okay, I. I uh, I have to pay for this, and I know you can't do that. Uh, but uh, well, I paid him, and he then bought them two new chickens. You know, so they got two chickens back. But they were not expecting this at all. So I don't know. It really answers the question, but it, it's just astonishing how uh, people with nothing um, can be so generous to to other people and really care about their well being. You know, want to invite them, want to to do the best they can for. For, for other people and i think we can we, of course there's, there's a lot of learning here uh without me having to, to necessarily go into to to all of that but uh generosity and and, and the thinking about uh you know people around us that that's definitely something probably if not all of us most of us uh, should be much much better at i i i think and also having nothing you know and there's nothing you can lose really so, so you actually see that even you know people don't have anything they are very often, uh, quite often, much, much happier where they come across at least. As, and of course, they have loads of worries and all the rest of it. They seem more happy than a lot of the, the rest of us because we have loads of things. And, and what do we have to do then? Oh, we have to protect those things. We have to make sure they're not stolen. So, you know, then we're suddenly stressing and, you know, losing uh, quality of life because we have things. So, um, I don't know. There, there, there's something here, right? <laughs> I think I think that completely answers the question. I th- I couldn't comment for Norway, but I think here we're we're materialistic to the point that like things like TikTok, you're seeing TikTok shop, and it's like buy this thing for forty two pence, and it's just mad. Like you just so we just want things that mean nothing, and it's it's yeah. It's, I think there's a massive learning curve in there, which leads me on to the last question of of the the episode, which you may have worked out from the question we just gave you. If we were to give you the chance to ask the next guest. Any question in the world, what would it be? Um, so, uh, why the hell have you not been to the west coast of Norway, and when are you coming? Okay, I'll just write that down. Why the <laughs> hell? It's good. I, I just want to say, 
This, do you watch? Do you watch football like like soccer? Just in case. Yeah, my yeah, my favorite team is is, is Spurs, uh, Tottenham. Cool. So, uh, cool. Every Norwegian has an English football team, so uh, a favorite English football team. So, and I was a kid, and uh, I just loved the name. And since then, I've been supporting Tottenham. So, yeah. So I watched uh, English football. Uh, <laughs> well, perfect. I mean, I mean, as a Norwegian, I expected you go with someone like Man City, but or or Barcelona, or with uh, Hegerberg. But yeah, um, the the reason I say is our next guest uh, is a, a Champions League winner. Um, so he's won the Champions wow. League. Uh, so he might have had been to was it the west coast you said? Yeah, okay. Let's say my village then. Now stop. Uh, if he has been, uh, if he's been here, I am very, very impressed. <laughs> right. Okay. As I'm going to well, let's see if I can do this. I'm going to guess that's spelled N E U S T A D T. N A U S T D A L. It means a boat shed valley, actually. Um, and there used to be Vikings living here a thousand years ago, and they had, I I suppose, uh, sheds for their big Viking boats. <laughs> so we quite often answer the question. Um, my answer is going to be, I'd never heard of it until today, uh, but is there an invite to come and visit this village? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, you are. Both of you are most welcome. Although I do live in Oslo, so it's probably easier to find me in Oslo than to come to the West Coast. So, <laughs> so but yeah, uh, be my guest. Uh, let me know when in Oslo. And uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Honestly, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. It's been, I, I'm not going to lie, that's been my favorite episode. I just, yeah. I just love the world. I love people that have seen the world and I love just sort of vicariously living that life through someone else. I think the more I think about this, the more I think in the future, I want to travel more and more. I've, I got the bug about four months ago. I had never traveled before. And yeah, then went to Tanzania, Rwanda, Ukraine, the States, a few other places, just by a few things happening. Um, and I, I totally got the bug. And if, if, if anything, this has just made it worse. So, so thank you very much for your time, Gunnar. I hope you've enjoyed yourself first off as well. I have indeed, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a, it was a real pleasure. So, um, and uh, yeah, do you um, do you come to Oslo? I might uh, I might see you in Scotland. Cheers! Sure. Sounds fantastic, mate. And for those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed another episode of the All In series. I know I certainly did. It's a fantastic episode there. The next All In episode, I believe, is Stevie Nichol, the ex Liverpool player who. Um, has won the Champions League. He has managed an MLS club for 10 years. He's now a pundit out in the States covering the MLS. Um, so as a football nerd, along with geography, I'm very excited for that as well. Um, the next episode of the R2 cast we'll have is with Cormac White, uh, who's looking at trying to create a, a market, if you will, for small ruminant dairy, which now I've mentioned, I'm sure Ed will be quite interested in, actually. He's more of a, a cattle man, but goats and sheep will come in at some point as well, I'm sure. And the one after that will be with Polly, Hin Polly Hilton, who is also in my Nuffield cohort and is looking at trying to create a, a stronger supply chain in britain for cider which she produces so very exciting there as well and um, thank you all for listening as always that's been our cast number 166 with gunner garforce so you can check out on instagram at garforce uh, yeah there's about two and a half thousand photos on there which i've been going through actually quite a lot myself lately uh, so yeah go check that out and we'll see you for the next episode with karma cormac see you then <laughs>